A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. What's up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we have a ton of books to a talk ton of, about. Some might argue too many. You I know what would, I mean? I would say just right. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say, like, maybe, you know, we, and, we don't get enough time to talk, uh, you know, really get into the meat of the matter because there's so many. We got to just go to the next we one. We can take mm-hmm. as much time as you want. If this podcast has to go two hours, that's fine. Three hours, that's fine. Five hours, not a problem. Ten hours, get it a little long, but let's go for it. <laughs> two days, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying at that point. You, but are you wearing go. a diaper or something? How can you go two days? <laughs> I don't know. I'm very hungry at that point. Captain America <laughs> finale. Number one, I guess, from Marvel, written by Colin <laughs> Kelly and Jackson Lansing. It actually is Captain America finale number one, but I purposely did not write the number one down because that felt stupid. Uh, I, I did Kelly notice that. Jackson Lansing, art by Carmen Canero. This is wrapping up Kelly and Lansing's run on Captain America, bringing the fight with Captain America and his allies to the Outer Circle, is I believe the name of the enemies, and bring it to bear and setting it up for the next run from JMS, who is returning to Marvel to write Captain America next. We have big fans of this run so far. How do you feel about how it wrapped up? Pete? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'd love to go first. Uh, so I think it's one of those. There's wait, two Justin, of us. It's one wait, of the Justin, other. did you want? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Justin uh, uh, forgets that sometimes we do a show every Tuesday. Um, yeah, I think it, it was a uh, very touching ending. I loved the kind of uh, emotion of it. Really felt like a good Captain America uh, ending. Um uh, I, I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, that crazy cat that killed the dude and then they made that Punisher joke. I, that, I felt very seen in that moment. So that was cool because I was thinking that same thing. Like, whose cat is this? Um, yeah, but uh, I feel like it was great art, cool story. I felt like it wrapped up a, uh, a little bit all at once at the end there. But mm-hmm. I, I felt like we could have gotten some more out of that just because it was so good. Um but uh, other than that, uh, I also an uh, interesting kind of teaser panel we got for the next uh, arc. So I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good uh, overall. I thought they did a great job. I agree with you on the wrap up. I've been a big fan of this series. They've done a really good job on it in terms of yep. blowing up the mythology of Captain America, creating a ton of tension between Bucky and Captain America in particular. But I don't know. This frankly felt like it wrapped up almost 12 issues too early or something. I almost and also felt- like the classic Captain America really just having a blind spot for Bucky. Uh, like <laughs> he was just like, oh, yeah, it's my friend. It's fine. All the stuff that he's done. I'm not even worried. Well, about. my big thing was this concept of the outer circle or whatever it was called was, or inner circle probably makes a lot more sense for probably what it's actually called. The regardless, they were this enemy that is manipulating the entire Marvel universe for over a century. 
to take them down in one issue, particularly after we had a big Half crossover like... between Sam Wilson's Captain America and Steve Rogers' Captain America, it felt very abbreviated to me. This felt like the sort of concept that, frankly, could be blown out to the entire Marvel Universe over the course of a year uh, after this. And eventually, you know, like Captain America really leading the charge. So there's more weight behind it. There's a little more loss behind it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. The pace was a little quickened up. I wonder if they abbreviated plans because JMS was coming in potentially. But that's just speculation. Yeah. And also, I appreciate you saying, frankly, is another shout out uh, to Frank. Uh, you know, always. as the the Punisher cat that was in this issue. I do want to give a big shout out to Carmen Carnero, who I realize that's been the key to a lot of this series is the art here and the oh layouts God, yes. are phenomenal. The pacing of the action is great. Kelly and Lansing clearly are on a roll. They're writing a ton of stuff right now, and that's great. And they did a really good job crafting the storyline. But really, the art is the standout. It's not quite the level of Nightwing over at DC, but... There are times over the course of this run where I feel like it's the closest that Marvel has gotten in terms of having that synergy between the writing and the art. So sad to see this uh, series go, but I loved watching it leave. Let's wow, move on. Talk come about on, that's it. creepy, dude. Don't no. Come on, no, no, no. I liked I liked his butt. No. That's what I call the back cover of a comic book is the butt of the comic. Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Scorpius run, number one from IDW, written by Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott, art by Angel Hernandez. This is, of course, tying into the Paramount Plus series, Strange New Worlds. And here we are getting the crew of the Enterprise get suckered into a classic space race uh, for their lives. Uh, this is not breaking any new ground in terms of the plot, but I had a blast reading this book anyway. I love the concept of have, being forced to run a space race. I love the crew being thrown into this. I had a very good time. Yeah, I love this. I mean, if I was actually on the Enterprise, I'd be so pissed uh, at the way he just kind of stumbled and said yes to this insane premise. But... Uh, that being said, I am loving what's happening. I love all the twists, the fun evil guy who switches the crews at the last second. Like, I thought this was uh, just a really, really fun Star Trek book. I, I was really blown away by this. I thought it was uh, just so cool. And just for clarity, I have been watching Strange New Worlds, and I love the show, particularly the second season. You haven't really watched it at all, right? So nope. you got into this book without... I mean, having it's Star Trek. It's, you know, if you yeah, kind of get scene. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah pew, pew, know. phasers, transporter, fucking uh, dumb with yeah, I mean, don't be an whatever. asshole about it, but all right. Yeah. Science, 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 science. I'm a Vulcan. All right. The Schlub, <laughs> oh number one from God. the Image Comics, written by Ryan Stegman and Kenny Porter. Art by Tyrell Cannon. The concept of this book is we got a the Schlub of the title. He is a dentist. He is overweight. He's balding. And he ends up switching places with the most powerful superhero in the world, what will happen next? Stay tuned. Pete, you have a question. What's up? Yeah. Uh, you, and, uh, you know, you you did the description a little dirty. I feel like it was just, you know, an, av you know, an average guy. It, now, did you think of Jordan D. White when you saw this? Because I was like, does this guy know Jordan D. White? Was this a little bit of a nod to Jordan D. White? I don't know if it looked exactly like I'm Jordan I'm not saying D. it looked White. exactly like him, but we've I seen Jordan... D. White portrayed in comics before, 
And, you know, I felt like I was like, is somebody giving a shout out or being like, hey, you know, Jordan D. White? Just because I also had that thought doesn't mean that your thought is correct. Okay, Pete. So calm down. That's beyond the pale. I also thought it, but it's disgusting that you thought it. Yeah. Okay, great. Great. What did Um, you think about this book, though? What did you think about the concept? So the classic Freaky Friday situation, swapping bodies. We've seen it before. The problem is... I don't like the schlub. I don't like this dentist who's like drugging somebody and making them sign paperwork. Mm-hmm. That to me was like, yo, fuck you, man. I don't want to ride with you because I hate you. Um, you know what I mean? And maybe I'm projecting because Jordan D. Wright right now is in charge of X-Men. And, I, you know, like maybe say, that's no, now you've gone okay, too far. Okay, I've gone too far. Okay, I'll pull that back. I'll pull that back. But I'm just saying, like, this is an evil <laughs> dentist. And it would have been better if it was a nice person that you would want to root for mm-hmm. instead of, like, this fucking asshole has superpowers now. And fuck this guy. I would go in the opposite direction because uh, I would make him even worse, frankly, because this is coming not hot on the heels, but on the heels of the scumbag, the Rick Remender book, which that guy was the worst. Like the scumbag of the title, he is awful. Like one of the worst people of all time. Absolutely terrible and disgusting. And this book doesn't go. I would argue that this guy's worse than that guy. Probably in reality, like if you were to, the scumbag is a character who kind of exists but doesn't really exist. Like he's it's an just a druggy dude who doesn't give a fuck. And is, yeah, but and it's, very it's everything that happens is absolutely over the top insane, which sure. is what I think you need to do with a concept like this. This schlub is just like, oh, I don't like this guy. Yeah. You know, like this is just a guy, a regular dentist that you don't like. And I kind of wanted him to be. Maybe not the scumbag level, but get a little closer there so that Mm -hmm. I understand the dichotomy. Same thing with the superhero who almost seems a little more image 90s than like, I'm the paragon of goodness, old chum type thing, you know? So uh, I don't know. I I think they're going for something here. Maybe they're eventually going down the road where like the schlub guy there's a little bit of good in him as well as bad. And the hero, there's a little bit of bad in him as well as the good. We'll have to see how it pans out. There's a though. solid start here, and the art is very good for Tyrone I mean, Cannon. the art's fantastic. Uh, I think we can both agree, really fantastic art. Yeah, I just want to see them go further with the comedic pres- premise. That's all. Well, maybe it will happen. Maybe in the next issue. I don't think so. I, I'm done. I'm at, no, of course we'll read the second issue. The Immortal okay. Thor, number one from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Martin Coquello. This is not exactly bringing Thor back to basics, but we do have non-bearded Thor. He's still king of Asgard, but he's doing Thor things in this issue, going around, drinking with people, hanging out with humans, doing stuff on Earth. And then we even get, spoiler here, but the Rainbow Bridge comes back. Uh, And this turns out to be part of the big plot of the issue that reveals that there are gods for the gods. There is a Uter Thor and Uter Loki. And this is where you get the like the Al Ewing superstructure of the universe type thing that he leads into a lot going on. I... Get a little nervous now reading Al Ewing because sometimes I think he gets too deep into his own lore to a confusing level. This, I thought, was awesome. I love it. Now, I'm not as uh, deep on the Norse mythology maybe as you. Now, is Uter like a Norse Uber? Is that like Mm – 
Oh, okay. No, it's okay. like it's like Uder, the German boy on The Simpsons. Uder, you know. Oh, Uder Hagen. Yeah, some say there might be a little looter inside all of us right now. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. You're really ridiculous today. Uh, let me ask you a question. <laughs> yes. Did you think it was funny when Thor was playing chess? Uh, it was, I don't know, funny, but it was fun. I was like, ha, Thor playing chess. And then I was like, why are you laughing at that, man? Why can't Thor play chess? What are you exactly. doing? You know what He's I mean? king of Asgard. He has, he has to know how to move pieces into place. Here's Asgard. what I think is great. Don't call it Asgard. You know what I mean? Asgard. Uh, listen, here's the thing about Asgard is I love watching it leave, but I hate seeing it go. Stop doubling down on horrible bit. <laughs> Absolutely not. Never, right. never for the rest of your natural life and then maybe beyond. <laughs> here's what I love about this concept that I think is so smart to do here is, and I don't know how hard he's going to lead into it, but having read a lot of Al Ewing stuff, I think very it's gonna be hard. hard. Yeah. It's going to go hard. It's is going to go hard. The basic concept of Thor, the way that Stan Lee and company introduced him, was like, we got to get somebody stronger than the Hulk. Who's stronger than the Hulk? Oh, a god. Okay, let's just put Thor. He's a Marvel Comics superhero now. But what Al Ewing is doing is going back to the idea that myths can create gods in different directions and different capacities. And what these Uter gods are, the way that I'm interpreting it, is the more pure version of what a god is versus... Thor and Loki, the way that we know them being essentially superheroes in comic books. So I think that's what he's going to be playing with. And that's going to be really fascinating and weird to see these different versions of these gods pitted against each other. It really changes the mythology of the Marvel Universe. I got very excited reading this book. And I think Martin Kukello's art is very detailed and perfect for a Thor book as well. Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, let me ask you another question, though. When you were reading yeah. this, I'm just looking for reactions here uh-huh. when you're reading comics. Uh-huh. Uh, were you pissed off when Lady Lib got destroyed? Because I was like, hey, come on. There's no need for all this. Uh, that's a big moment. I thought that was very cool. I was like, yo, too far. Not well, cool. You're talking about the destruction of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that's right. I am. Listen, they're just tying into the Marvel continuity in the movies where the Statue of Liberty also got destroyed and um, eventually got when, a Captain America shield. What about Ghostbuster 2 when it walked around a little bit? You know what a I mean? A lot of things have happened with Lady okay. Liberty. Okay, all right. I, I'm just saying that, like... Uh, I was having a great time in that until it happened and I got a little sad. But, man, this is a big swing and I'm here for it. I'm very excited about these ideas and how it's going to get pushed forward. The Penguin, number one, from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Rafael De La Torre. Now, we talked about the Zero issue and speculated, oh, okay, this, is, this series is going to be Catwoman trying to take down the children of the Penguin. Nope, 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 not what this is at all. In fact, this series seems to be about Tom King digging into the idea of why is the Penguin so big in Batman's rogues gallery? What makes him dangerous? And then making him so dangerous that, spoilers here, at the beginning of the book, he has discovered Batman's identity and he and Batman are drowning to death together in the Batmobile or the Batplane, and by the end of the issue, <laughs> they have died. Yeah, and also, like, Penguin's so mad, they won't even help. Like, he's just like, nah, Batman, we're going down. I'm not even going to try yeah. to help you. He's like, fuck you, we're going to drown. It's a crazy start. And I was like, 
really into the zero issue and was like, why is this number one? And then I read this and was like, oh, okay, because this is a real, this is the start here. And that was kind of like some cool stuff in the background. But man, uh, I, yeah, this was what a start. First off, really cool covers. Um, just like, the the in the two of them in the in the bat wing like sinking to their death um yeah i think this is just such a interesting team up you don't really see you know you see bat and cat you don't get to see the uh penguin and uh, batman together this much so i'm already so very intrigued by it um but man uh uh, yeah, I cannot wait for more of this. This not only was a zero issue unbelievable, this one takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Art's unbelievable. This and, is definitely and just a to mention this up. seems like a direct continuation on Batman Killing Time. So if you liked that book, this isn't quite as propulsive and action-y in exactly the same way, but you get one of the characters shows up here. It does continue that continuity. Tom King has promised this is going to tie into the main Batman books. This is not a black label thing. Like this is something that is actually happening and it's, it's pretty wild. I am going to go out on a bat wing here and just say that this Tom Kim Ting guy is uh is an unbelievable writer. Yeah. Tom Ting too. Uh, Have you Tom tried King. his Tom Tinga chicken? It's very good. Newber number 10 from image comics written by Chip Zdarsky art by Jacob Phillips. This is I don't, really you know. uh, bringing the, uh, I don't I'm blanking on what the expression is, but it, tightening the noose. Is that the expression Ooh, around yeah. Newburn um, here? I don't know. Tight, there's some expression there that I'm yeah. Let's at. not let's not talk about. Don't nooses. do that one. Yeah, whatever not. it is. Things things bad for Newburn as <laughs> yeah, he is uh, potentially going to be shut down by the bobs that he's working for. His apprentice is also trying to figure out what's going on as a reporter is coming after her and Newburn. Um, yeah, things are getting tough for our anti heroes here. Yeah, yeah. This continues to be an amazing series. I know if JT Sizzle was here, he would talk about how much he loves this. Uh, You know, also, we kind of get a a moment where the character kind of needs to rest against a fence. And I was like, oh, wow, it's nice to see somebody get tired a little bit. You feel like you see somebody run for 18 panels and you're like, what kind of stamina do you have for an older man? So it was nice to kind of be like humanize them a little bit. You know what I mean? Something Mm -hmm. I could relate to. Absolutely. Uh, this book is very good. <laughs> the characterizations are very good. I am excited and nervous to see where it goes. Marvel yeah, I can't Unleashed, wait for the next dish. Number one from Marvel, written by Kyle Starks, art by Jesus Hervez. This is bringing together the animal heroes of the Marvel Universe to fight a new evil. Exactly what you'd expect. Very fun. Kyle Starks knows his way around comedy. I had a, I, this was a joy to read. Jokes galore, animals galore. I had a good time. Yeah, absolutely agree. It, this was a ton of fun. Uh, amazing last panel. So hilarious. I don't want to spoil it, but man, uh, just such a f- funny read. Also, in the middle of the, of the fight, they cut to a cat just napping. Uh, it's, it's hysterical. Absolutely. And there's, there's Jarvis stuff in here. You had to love yeah. that, Pete. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, so excited to read more of this because it's really fun. And, you know, you get all these Marvel, DC books, everything's serious, everything's dark, everything's uh, the odds are against us. It's nice just to kind of have a, you know, they're still up against it, but it's still a fun read. I mean, it starts off and you're, uh, I was a little bit like, come on, Craven, don't, don't, don't do that to that dog. That's a. You know what I mean? Like, I know you're like a hunter and stuff, but like, this seems like a little beneath you here. You know what I mean? But man, uh, very exciting. Dark Knights of Steel, number 12 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor. Art by Yasmin Putri, talking about where the world is going to end and everything comes down to this. Everything does actually come down to this in this medieval version of the DC universe. And once again, Pete's favorite thing to see in comics you got to see Alfred die again. How'd you feel about that, Pete? <laughs> oh, you took it away from me. Oh, you're oh you that. asshole. That was, I have it in all bold. Like, stop killing Alfred. What are you guys doing? Like, hey, it's been two days. Somebody better kill Alfred. Are you fucking kidding me with this, DC? Like, you're just, when bored and you have a couple free panels, you're just going to kill Alfred? Like, stop killing Alfred. Um but in all seriousness, uh, this was an unbelievable run. This was just 12 issues of just a, a really cool idea that was really well executed. The art's a real hero here. Uh, but, man, uh, yeah, just beautifully drawn. Great story. Fun twists and turns the whole way. And it's just like you know what the normally what the characters are. So putting these twists on to kind of bring a freshness to it and then throwing it way back in time also gives a little freshness. I, I think it was just a great combination overall, but seriously, you didn't need to kill fucking Alfred in this book. Tom Taylor knows his way around these alternate universe stories at this point, And he really knows how to dig into the emotions that you feel for the characters in the DC universe. So I like this quite a bit. Scrapper, number two from Image Comics, written by Cliff Blazinski and Alex DeCampi, art by Ryan Kelly and Jordi Belair. This is another talking animal book. This one takes place <laughs> in the future as two dogs are trying to escape from the fascistic forces that are tracking them down. I love the wild creativity on display in this book. Really enjoyed this first issue. Maybe enjoyed the second issue more as they continue to dig into the mythology and how the word world works. Very impressed by the series. Yeah, I, I just think this is an unbelievable team on this, and it really shows. Like, this is a, a very creative, cool book that's a ton of fun and a great. Uh, again, animal focused book with an unbelievable last panel. I love the what I'm coding here. Uh, but yeah, it was just uh, this is just so interesting. And like you think like, OK, OK, talking dog, whatever. But then there's like all these other layers to the stuff that's going on in action and interesting characters. I just think this is such a creative, cool team that is killing it. Next up, let's fight, Pete. Yeah! Gene Grey, number one from Marvel, written by Louise Simonson, art by Bernard Chang. This is spinning out of the fall of X event that left Gene Grey as a sexy skeleton with hair. That's all she is after what <laughs> oh happened at the God. Hellfire Gala. Who are and you? 
in this issue, this is kind of straddling a line between one of those nostalgia plays that Marvel has been doing a lot, where they bring a classic writer or artist or both onto a title, and actually something that ties in Fall of X. It seems like it is in the moment that Jean Grey dies, or potentially immediately afterwards, she is going through different versions of what her life could have been. Here's my opinion, and then for the counterpoint, we'll go over to Pete. This is maybe the best Louise Simonson has been in years. I love this book. I love digging into Jean Grey. I thought the powerful emotion of everything that was going on with this alternate universe version of the X-Men was great, and I'm so excited to see how this series pans out. Pete, I'm sure you felt similarly. Over to you. Yeah. This is just Jean and Scott running around being assholes. Why do I want this? Why do I need this? Scott Summers trashes a perfectly good pool table for what reason? I don't know why, because he's a dick. And then you have Jean Grey just fucking it up left and right, being dumb, doing stupid things. Uh, why do I need to see this? I would like to see Jean Grey maybe doing some good or not being an asshole and not fucking abusing her powers and doing bullshit with it. So I don't know. Maybe I'm the dick, but the art's fantastic. I'll give you that much. Great art. Thanks, man. Thanks for giving me that. <laughs> so depending on who you listen to this podcast for, for either pick it up or burn it to hell, the last kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. <laughs> Batman, The Brave and the Bold, number four from DC Comics, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, and Bryson, Rob Williams, and Megan Fitzmartin, art by Kelly Jones, Pasquale Quilano, Stefano Landini, and Bellin Ortega. This is an anthology title, usually anchored by Batman Tell. I thought it was a Tom King, um, Mitch Drad's story about the Joker, but turns out it's not. That said, right at the beginning here, we get a classic Kelly Jones illustrated horror story involving Batman, where Batman gets sucked into a secret pit to hell that has been hiding in Bat Gotham since the beginning. I I don't need this title, but with stories this good, I can't ignore it, is what I would say. Super tight bananas alert. Oh, my God, this art. Uh-oh, is that going oh, off? Oh, sound the alarm. Holy super banana, tight bananas. Banana, banana. Uh, <laughs> Damn, Kelly Jones. 
Holy, this is a book, man. Ah, oh, just uh, this is a great collection of stories. But that first one, though, oh, my God, about the darkness in Gotham. And, oh, I just, Batman kicked so much ass. Even the darkness was like, damn, Batman, why are you fucking my shit up? Uh, I just, I, I love this. I had such a great time. I was so impressed with uh, what I thought it was going to be versus what it turned out to be. Just so impressive. Uh, yeah, you got to, it's worth it for the art alone. I mean, damn. <laughs> Ice Cream Man, number 36, from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martine Morazzo. This issue is a extremely dark riff on Pinocchio. <laughs> now, here's what I was thinking going into this issue. Clearly, mm-hmm. we're in the tag for Ice Cream Man. We love Ice Cream Man. We love this team. Martine Morazzo's art is fantastic. But W. Maxwell Prince has been... Uh, stretching out his wings or whatever the expression is and doing other things. There was the clown series that he did that were some dark tales about clowns. He's currently doing swan songs that is about people's last moments. And reading this, even though I love Ice Cream Man, I was definitely like, all right, prove it to me. How is this different from the other stuff you're doing? And then by the end, I was like, nope, this is different. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's very much its own thing. Um, so if that is a worry that anybody else is happening, like Ice Cream Man is still intrinsically very much its own thing in terms of the darkness of what it's doing and what it's dialing in on. Um, yeah, plus you got Martin Barraza's art, and he's drawing a bunch of nude people in a whale. So what more do you want out of your comics? Oh, of course, that's what you're focusing on, you weird fucking perv. They don't I, call I it think... a blowhole for nothing, Pete. Oh, <laughs> wow. You're a complete douchebag. I love I... watching it blow, but I hate watching it whole. Nah, stop doubling down on fucking or tripling down at this point on dumb shit. First off, what kind of horrible comic book fan are you that after 35 unbelievable issues, you get to 36 and you're like, well, let's see if you still got it, you fuckwad. Dude, (laughs) fuck you, man. This has been nothing but absolute creativity in such an unbelievable manner. Every issue is a banger. It's just every time you You've, think you it's, understand it's a thing. you've heard of the 36th issue itch right like <laughs> yeah. that's the thing that happens is you shut start up you had your time to other comics shut, I, I'm, cla- I'm claiming my time back thank you uh, <laughs> oh, okay. the Pinocchio guy and the Greg the cockroach was so funny just absolutely hysterical laugh out loud moments uh, this was sad but so interesting and so unique and cool the I just I couldn't believe it. And yeah, there was even naked people. And I still put this on top of my list because that's how awesome it was. It was so creative and cool and just worth checking out. What they are doing with Ice Cream Man is a legendary and it will be talked about for years and, and taught in classrooms because it is different, but the same in ways that you can't. I just it's fucking it's fucking phenomenal, man. Wow. Realm of X, number one from Marvel, written by Torin Grodback, art by Diagino, Diogenes Neves. This is taking a bunch of the characters who went through gates at the end of the Hellfire Gala, and some of them have rather randomly, seemingly, ended up in Vanaheim and get caught in the middle of a war. To me, this seems like a riff on the classic New Mutants go to Asgard crossover that we got back in the day. Classic, yeah. Oh, man. That is a classic. If you've never read that, (laughs) one of the best stories ever. Um, Legit. But this, 
doesn't have the same clarity to it yet. I, I, I like these characters and it's a weird mix of characters, but I'm not 100% sure what the point of this is yet. Like why this is yet. happening off of Hellfire Gala. Oh, were you on board with this, Pete? Yet. Uh, yeah. I First oh, off, okay. I really enjoyed how much Mary hates dust. Like uh, that was just such a fun uh, running bit throughout the thing that every time dust dust shows up it really drives mary insane so i thought that was a lot of fun yeah i i enjoyed this i thought it was very you know like sometimes you're like why are we seeing this what is this about but i felt like it was giving us such kind of unique things i didn't care about the bigger picture i was just kind of enjoying where we were with it uh really fantastic art um yeah i'm interested to see like what this is all going to mean and what's going to happen We'll see. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number five from DC Comics, written by Dennis Culver, art by Chris Burnham. In this issue, the Doom Patrol are doing more of their Doom Patrol stuff. Uh, Pete, take it away. Yeah, I mean, first off, badass covers. Uh, yeah, I, I really love this comic. It, it's it's uh, I love the tone, the humor, love the action and adventure and the, the art that it all uh, meets and gives it this kind of unique look. Um but man, uh, yeah, this continues to just feel like a fun escalation from the TV show. And uh, I, yeah, I can't get enough of it. I just I think it's great and it continues to be great. It is very good. I know it's being a little glib about it, but the like you were saying, the synthesis between the writing and the art is great. I love yeah. reading this book and I can't wait for more. Terror War, number five from Image Cox, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Dave Acosta. And the last issue... One of our terror fighters, people who are the only people who can kill these nightmares that are attacking the city, ended up getting consumed seemingly by one of the nightmares. That's where we pick up here. By the end of the issue, pretty much everything that we thought we knew about what was going on may be may have either changed or about to change. And to me, it gets to what I was hoping this series would get to all along. I could talk about that in a second, but Pete, what did you think about this one? Uh, yeah, I hate when people set up that everything you know is about to change. Well, should I should I talk about it? Or well, do you wait, want... first, yeah, first let ahead. me just say uh, real quickly, this wasn't one of my more favorite issues of this. I thought other ones were stronger, but the body homer by body horror, uh, weird gloopy stuff got on me a little bit. I was just kind of like kind of sick of it after a little while, but go ahead. So this has been like a big action book about these dudes that are taking down and ladies who are taking down these enormous terrors. They're told they're attacking the city. We don't know where they're coming from. Isn't this bad? We got to take them down. The information that we get, which is not too surprising in terms of a twist, but by the end of the issue, is maybe these terrors are not the bad guys, potentially. And in fact, they are probably being attacked for nefarious purposes or being used as a scapegoat or something like that. And I think that's where you're getting to this satirical title terror war is it's tying into the real world terror war where oftentimes there are just regular people that are caught in the middle of it, or there are people who are not terrorists or the terrorists are actually freedom fighters who are fighting for a just cause, but the American government attacks them for some reason. That's what I think, I suspect, we are getting towards with this series. 
that started off as like big 80s action in a very fun way. But that's the rug that I feel like is about to be pulled out from under us. And if they are going in that direction, I think that's great. It makes it very relevant for today. It makes it very relevant for the past several decades in terms of the terror war. It really drives under what the title of this is as well. So we'll see. But I got very excited about that ending in terms of what's potentially coming up in this book. All right, next issue. You ready to fight again? Come on. I don't know if we're going to fight because some big stuff goes down here. And maybe we've been on the same side about Amazing Spider-Man for the most part. Amazing Spider-Man number 32 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Patrick Gleason. I'm going to get some big spoilers here for this issue. So Norman Osborn, as most folks probably know. Yes, what? Can I go first on this one? Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. I was going to describe the plot, but if you want to go ahead and go for it. Okay, well, I don't know, it's too late now. Okay, so, uh, oh, fun, Spider-Man's on a date. Barf, go fuck yourself. Uh, Spider-Man gets stabbed in the back. Now you know how the readers of Spider-Man feel. What the fuck are we doing? Uh, Really amazing art. I love Zeb Wells. This is not a reflection on him. He's kind of in a tough situation. I'm not mad at him, but okay. He's in a tough situation? What's his tough situation? (laughs) Hey, if his tough situation said, is he got hired to write Spider-Man. Yeah, and it's not oh, like wow, the good Spider-Man. It's the Spider-Man that doesn't have Mary Jane. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's like, what, what's not he a lot of people know this, but Nick Lowe, the editor of the Amazing Spider-Man books, he holds guns to their heads. Like he puts guns to their heads. They're like, "You fucking write this exactly like I say, word for word." It's terrible. Don't say that about Nick. You don't know that. No, Nick is a very nice guy. I yeah, like so, Nick a lot. Yeah, I'm please joking, take that back. Uh, to be clear, I take it back. I In this issue, to give people a little more of the plot. So, as I called it, Peter Parker goes on a date with regular human lawyer Michelle, friend of the Beatle. Um, oh, it's just started. It's just started, baby. He is dating her. They had a horrible date. There is, they don't like each other. This is a classic enemies to lovers situation that we're getting here. They're gonna don't hate. put that out there. Don't but put just, that out just there. Just use a term to you throw a little French out here. They're gonna hate fuck the fuck out of each other. I guarantee it. One hundred percent. No doubt in my mind. But that's not the biggest part of the issue. The biggest part of the issue is that Norman Osborne, who doesn't have his sins because the sin eater ate his sins or something like that, uh, is now a good guy called the Gold Goblin. He's a friend of Pointer Parker. Meanwhile, Craven the Hunter, who is actually the son of Craven the Hunter, I believe in the body of Craven the Hunter, right? Oh, that that's fun. Yeah, that is fun. Is hanging <laughs> out and uh, ain't fucking the fuck out of Red Goblin, um, Red Goblin, not Red Goblin. That's a child. It's not Red Goblin. The Goblin Queen. I don't know. There's too many goblins, man. And she's red. Okay. Red Lady Goblin or something, whatever it is. Oh anyway, uh, his plan, what she wants him to do is she's like, hey, your dad did a really well regarded storyline called Craven's Last Hunt. What if you did a similar thing, despite the fact that you're not dying, where instead of hunting Spider Man, you hunt the Green Goblin? But in order to do that, you're going to have to re-goblinize the Green Goblin, similar to what Dr. Octopus did in the last arc, but wasn't successful. But you're another villain, and now you're going to try to do it. 
So what you're going to do is you're going to take this spear that has all of Norman Osborn's sins in it and stab him with it so that he becomes evil again. So over the course of the book, by the end, he tries to stab Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn is like, I knew this was going to happen. Go ahead, do it. Peter jumps in the way and gets stabbed with the sins of Norman Osborn. In the back. In the back and cackles like a maniac. Uh, now, this is some stuff that came out at San Diego Comic-Con, just to get you real hype for this, Pete. We're going to get Spider-Man hunting Craven over the next couple of issues in a reverse of Craven's last hunt. And then in issue 35, are you ready for this? Because I'm guessing you probably didn't know this. Spider-Man is going to become the new Goblin. And that is a status quo that they said at San Diego Comic-Con is going to last for the next 24 issues of the title. Yeah, yeah. wake me up when that's over. I'm not going to read <laughs> any of that shit. <laughs> oh, good luck. I'm going to put every single issue in the stack. Well, have fun talking about it, dude, because I don't want any part of that. I will say there was a moment. Is that interesting about- to you? No, the, there was a, uh, there was a moment when they were about to walk away stab from the goblins. Norman that I was like, "Thank God, do it! Stab him in the back, make him evil again." Can we get past this storyline? And then they did it. They stabbed Peter instead. I'm certainly intrigued to see how they play this out, but I don't know why we need to see Peter Parker with Norman Osborn's sins for 24 issues. It's also like I don't know. I've mentioned this before. This is my thing. Like I don't like making magic a big part of Spider-Man's life. Like, I know it's happened before. I know we just did that with Beardo, who was attacking Mary Jane and killed Kamala Khan. And we did it with Spider-Man, the other, another storyline that I think was unnecessary. Also, he was like, there was like Doc Ock. He was, I, I don't know. There was it's so much. too much. It's too much going on. The best part to me, and I know you don't like it, but the best part to me was the date. That's the part that worked for me. I thought that was fun and funny and... Hard definitely pointed towards something. The rest of it, I don't know. Let's see where we're going. Night, let's get to our Night Terrors block, something that I think yeah. we both been enjoying. Night Terrors number four from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Giuseppe Cabancoli, Stefano Nessi, Ed Casper Wingard. We also got Action Comics number two, written by Leah Williams and Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Vasco Georgiev, Mika Sion, and Fico Asio. Night Terrors Angel Breaker number two by Tim Seeley, art by Aki Bright. Night Terrors Detective Comics number two by Dan Waters, art by Ricardo Federici, Mike Perkins, and Stefano Raphael. Night Terrors Harley Quinn number Two by Teeny Howard and Leah Williams, art by Hayden Sherman and PJ Holden. Night Terrors Titans, number two, written by Andrew Constant, art by Scott Godlewski and Mike Norton. Now, as we've usually been doing, we can uh, shout out some stuff we like, but why don't we start with Night Terrors because that's the main book. We finally get the lead in into the final issue here Night Terrors, Night's End, which is coming up in a little bit. But in Night Terrors, number four, Dead Man takes the Nightmare Stone, finds out he was tricked by Insomnia, and Insomnia, by dying, is able to bring the Nightmare World to the real world. And that's where we end up here as we head into the finale. Pete, you've got a question. Take it away. Yes. Can you guess what uh, I thought the scariest part of this comic was? Of Night Terrors? Uh, Going to sleep. No. When he threw a comic in the fire. Ooh. Oh, my God. That was just like a kick in the nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, reader who's been reading comics all your life, I'm just going to toss this in the fire. See how you feel about it. Um, no, I, I thought this was great. Some unbelievable covers. Uh, 
uh, I mean, like overall, if we're talking about the whole blocks, like some really scary ass covers. I love what DC has been doing with this event and embracing it. And then doing some, some of the creepiest covers that uh, haunt my nightmares and it's hard to unsee, but man, uh, I thought this was really, really cool and such a kind of crazy evolution of this idea of like bringing uh, nightmares to life, which just sounds like such a horrible thing. And then not only do you, did we spend all this time where they had to fight their nightmares in their dreams, now they're out in reality and we got to kind of fight them again. So insane, fun, heightening. Uh, yeah, I'm having a blast with this whole event. The main uh, book is very good, I will say. I'm really enjoying that a lot. That is a big superhero crossover style thing. Like it should be the real standout to me this week. And this was the standout of the first issue as well. The detective comics issue by Dan waters that focuses on commissioner oh, Gordon. Yeah. Those two issues are so good. They work completely devoid of the night terrors event as a, one of the best commissioner Gordon stories I think I've ever read. Like to give you the wow. concept of it, it is Commissioner Gordon is trying to track down what he thinks is this mysterious supernatural entity that people, three people have decided that Gotham City has failed them. It's just not working. Batman isn't working. The cops aren't working. And so they pray to these basically like Hellraiser style entities to give them powers to do stuff. As a side effect, and we find out why in this issue, Commissioner Gordon starts breaking apart and you can literally like, you know where this is going. They're not hiding it or anything like that. But the idea that commissioner Gordon has so much weight on him that he feels like he's going to crumble apart at any point to the point by halfway through this issue, his legs are cracking. His face is mostly gone. His hands are gone. It's legitimately terrifying reading this book but there's a bigger emotional gut punch, which I won't spoil, that happens oh, in terms it. of the, well, in terms of the reveal of why this is happening, yep. that is heartbreaking, like totally heartbreaking. It eventually, like in the last page, is like, oop, and then there's nightmares outside. Check out more in Night's End coming a couple of weeks from now. But you could read these two issues, know absolutely nothing about night terrors, and come away being like. This is an amazing Commissioner Gordon story yeah. that introduces some new villains that I would hate slash love to see going forward in Gotham City books because they're they're harrowing to read. Yeah, exactly. And also just shout out to the art. I mean, like yeah. having like bits of somebody gone can be done really well or kind of be really weird. So I thought it was really artistically achieved in such a cool manner. Um, yeah, this book is unbelievable. And Jim Gordon kicking ass does not get old. And especially with uh, how it's done in this was such a cool, unique thing. Yeah, I was just really impressed with this. Uh, I just want to quickly talk about some of these other ones. Um, the Action Comics one, uh, the Power Girl story, man, uh, it just got real dark real fast. The fact mm -hmm. that, like, Power Girl hates herself, like, nobody can hate me like I hate me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, man. Uh, some crazy I, I liked I liked the cyborg Superman story in that yeah. in particular that was a good horror action story that was fun. 
And uh, also, Mongol with like a kid chained to him was so creepy, yeah. and, and a, a way I wasn't even ready for that was really insane. Yeah, we got Angel Breaker. I'm not what I love Tim Seeley. I'm not 100% sure about that one just because I don't really have a connection to the character. The Harley Quinn one seemed to be. Wait, wait. Just yeah. that while we're on the Angel Breaker, badass covers, love the anime kind of style, fun giant mm-hmm. sword action, and giant snake and nightmare action as well. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it has a sense of fun to it, but again, I just don't know the characters too well. Mm -hmm. Harley Quinn seems to be just following its own thing, like it's just sort of continuing its storyline through the middle of this Night Terrors thing, which is fine. They know what they're doing there. Um, But the... the 80s punk style that you got in the second store was really... Yeah, that was very cool. I like the art. Yeah, yeah. And I love the her and Ivy stuff. I'm a sucker for that and some amazing covers. Okay. And the Titans one, I really like the idea that Titans Tower was the ultimate focus here. And that Titans mm-hmm. Tower ha- almost has a personality now because of how much time that they've spent in it. Um, yeah. That's cool. It's a weird only in comics concept. And I like to see... I like to have it played out. Some fucking scary ass covers, though, and then also love the last panel. Like, let's go wake up the world was just such a cool moment. Yeah. Let's move on. Talk about the Invincible Iron Man number nine from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Juan Ferrari. This is picking up from the end of the Hellfire Gala and bringing us up. Not to the present day, but filling in a lot of the dots in terms of what's been going on with Tony Stark, what's been going on with Emma Frost in particular. And it is leading into an event that is coming in the next issue of Iron Man, as well as, I believe, an issue of X-Men, where, spoilers if you haven't seen the news, but Tony Stark and Emma Frost are getting married. So that's what we're getting the ramp up to here. That is a wild pairing that I'd never see coming in a million years, except... I kind of think Jerry Dugan is making it work here. Like I could see the groundwork being built. I don't think it's something like this is a great romance that is going to last for years in Marvel. But in terms of the amount of stress these characters are feeling and the bond between them, I never would have thought of it in a million years, but I'm digging it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, but it's working. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really impressive issue. A lot of twists and turns. I was surprised that the you know they kind of usually don't have this overlap between X Men and kind of Avengers. So uh, I really thought the last panel reveal was crazy fun and cool. Um, you know, the Dukes, uh, you know, great writer, having some fun. It feels like it for sure, and it comes across. Next up, Firepower number 26 from Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman, art by Chris Samney. This is... You're going to have to tell me what this is, because I haven't read the first 25 issues of this book, and I picked up this, but you're a fan of this book, so... Why don't you take it away, Pete? Why well, first you, you got Chris Samney and Robert Kirkman. Yes, you, I'm already all in. But then you got uh, martial arts, throwing fireballs, giant dragons. What's not to love? This is just a ton of fun. Uh, checks a lot of boxes for me. Uh, I had a blast with this. It's people training, trying to learn to throw fireballs. If I took uh, one day of martial arts, I would be like, uh, okay, like when do we when do we start the crazy? Is stuff the entire here? concept of this book is people learning how to do hadoukens? Is that yeah, the idea? Exactly. That's that's what I got from it. But I'm sure there's a lot more to it. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm having a blast with this. All right. Um, I like the art. I <laughs> thought the story was interesting in classic Robert Kirkwood fashion. It was like, here's a little aperitif of an issue for you. <laughs> Not yeah. much of a story going on here. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, but we'll see. I'm intrigued to read the next one. The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Tate Bromble, art by Isaac Goodhart. This is maybe one of the wildest comics that is coming out right now. It is about a teenager who is preternaturally smart and also very weird around other people who has figured out how to reanimate dead flesh a la Frankenstein. In this issue, he's started to team up with a vampire boy to find out why the werewolf boy, I think that he was in love with was killed because of this evil organization. There's more vampires and Frankensteins and things going on here. This Comic is to be on the right side of weird. And what I mean by that Ooh. is like there's some books that are so weird you can't really have anything to hang on to. But I like these characters and I like them through the art and I like them through the characterization. So even though there's like uh, there's a lot of people in white and I don't know what this organization is doing and also you're doing high school stuff at the same time there's enough to hang on to on every page that it keeps me coming back for more. And to be clear, it's uh, they're like white ghost type creatures. They're not yes. just white people. Um, you were like, yeah, they're white and not, you know. A bunch <laughs> of Caucasians. Yeah, you know. you know, a bunch of weird Caucasians running around. I don't get it. Uh, but I, I think this is a very enjoyable, fun adventure. I love the, the team, uh, the collection of people that are kind of forced to go on this adventure together. I love the uh, interesting cat powers or but yeah, the really solid art and storytelling is the big uh, kind of driving force that, uh, yeah, like you said, you just meet these characters and you meet and you're like, oh, I get it. I understand what you're about. And I, yeah, I'm on your side. And they do a great job of kind of like getting you uh, kind of on their side right away and you're kind of off and running. So really impressive uh, a group of uh, artists and writers that are coming together telling a really kind of unique, fun story. Moon Knight City of the Dead, number two for Marvel, written by David Pipos, art by Marcella Ferreira. This is, like we talked about with the first issue, a more classic Moon Knight story. Just him doing some big action-y Egypt mythology-style stuff. The twist is that Red Scarab, I believe is her name, from the TV show, is now teaming up with him. That was one of the big reveals in the last issue. Pete, I know you love the first issue of this. What did you think about the second one? Yes, absolutely loved it. Really fun, crazy action. Uh, I didn't like how Wolverine or uh, Moon Knight had Wolverine claws. That was kind of a weird moment because, uh, you know, they're normally kind of like throwing stars, but they're a little crescent moon. So, like, I can get it. You can jam them in there and make them look like that. But, like, I, I didn't like how much they look like claws. Have you ever done that? Have you ever jammed any, like, knives into your knuckles or anything like that so you could be Wolverine? Yes, definitely have uh, regretted it, but uh, oh, still yeah. done it and probably uh, will do it again. Uh, but all that is said, how like, often, how often does it hurt? <laughs> oh, it hurts every time I do it. There you go. Uh, uh, the kids without hearts, though, was just such a crazy, uh, sad twist. Uh, but I'm very interested to see how this is all going to uh, kind of unfold. Uh, I love all the action and adventure. I think that it's a, a really great book and worth checking out. Rogue Son, number 15, from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel and Marco Renna. This is my favorite book in the Massive Verse. It is currently going through a wild bunch of plot lines where yeah. the main character, who is our teen Rogue Son, his body has been taken over by one of his ancestors. 
As it as he doesn't want to fight the rogue son war anymore. Instead, he wants to team up with the greatest enemies and take over the world. Is what we find out this issue. Meanwhile, our rogue son has to team up with his father, who he hates, and his grandfather, who seems nice at first but actually is kind of a jerk. Uh, And there's a bunch of other rogue sons from Ithrin time periods in this dream state afterlife area who are after them. Um, I'm glad somebody's. Finally talking about this. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to sleep when you have so many of your relatives trying to get into your body and use it for fun. You know what I mean? So I'm glad there's an issue that uh, tackles these things and it really kind of brings this into the forefront. Do you have, while you're sleeping, a bunch of your relatives are trying to get in your body and use it for fun? I mean, if you're a ghost, why wouldn't you be doing that? You should report that. I've tried. The cops are like, you're crazy. You know, take your medication, that kind of stuff. It's like. ACAD, man. ACAD. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, take it easy. Uh, I, yeah, I just think this is a blast. And um, yeah, it just continues to be awesome. Uh, absolute banger art. Just really unbelievable. Super tight bananas. And uh, I, yeah, I'm, I, I continue to have a blast with this comic. I just love how they raise the danger exponentially every single issue while still digging into the emotional core of the book. Great stuff. Earth Divers, number nine from IDW, written by Stephen Graham Jones, art by Ricardo Bercielli and Patricio Del Pesce. This is ostensibly a book about time travel, which we get back to a little bit by the end of this issue. But a lot of this arc has been about a character traveling back in time to the Ice Age, and it stinks. She's trying to understand... What is how she can protect herself and how she can save herself using science and knowledge of the actual period versus superstition. Um, eventually, it ties into this magic cave that sends people back in time by the end of the issue. So we get a little bit of a tease there. But what do you think about this one, Pete? I mean, just to be clear, you don't think this issue stinks. You're saying that, the, you know, what she's going through is rough. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yes. Because you're like, like Jay stinks. Sherman, the critic. I don't think it. It stinks. <laughs> Wow. Um, Fun. Yeah, no, I think this is great. It's very creative and unique, and it's uh, I like the art. Um, Yeah, you know, when you got to travel across the world, man, you got to fight sharks. You got to go through a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, it's a it's it's a great adventure. Deadpool number 10 from Marvel, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Luigi Zagaria in this issue. I think maybe we're bringing Deadpool to a close for now as he or or something. His girlfriend has a lot of horns. She uh, makes you horny, maybe. I don't know. Come on, dude. I was like, don't. (sighs) Gave up halfway through that one. Anyway. Deadpool's doing a lot of Deadpool stuff and <laughs> trying beaten, to bond with I've his beaten girlfriend. you down. I've, uh, I've you won. taken all you, the joy out of talking about comics. As we you have won this podcast, Pete. We always give it to somebody. <laughs> you won this one. I'll take it. You I take this it. one. We're keeping yeah, score. It's... When we do our last podcast, one of, us, one of the three of us is eventually going to be a winner. Don't think it's Justin. He's mostly not here. <laughs> well, yeah, this is hilarious and fun. I think Alyssa Wong does a great job of cap. Capturing the voice of Deadpool. Um, Deadpool's in love again. So that's sweet. I love this team. The dog is hilarious. The kind of family dynamic that they have in this book is very enjoyable. I think Deadpool's a lot more 
easy to take when he has kind of people on his side and not everybody just thinking he's an asshole. So I think this is, uh, uh, I think does a great job of capturing the heart of a Deadpool and what kind of really he's about. So uh, I'm having a blast with this and he makes all sorts of stupid horny jokes that uh, he doesn't give up on in the book. You know what I mean? He really uh, believes in them. And so, yeah. Well, I can only aspire to the humor of Deadpool one day. The Dead Lucky, number eight from Image Comics, written by Melissa Flores, art by French Carlo Magno. This issue really changes things in a big way. We got a cliffhanger in the last issue that the main character's old, not exactly boyfriend, but like fling person she was close to, maybe alive, may also be a superhero. Uh, and to confuse things further, she is powered by ghosts, or at least that's what she thought. And one of the ghosts is this guy who she has now discovered is alive. So there's a lot of questions being brought up here. Um, this is another massive verse title, by the way. What do you think yeah. about this one, Pete? Great. Another great issue. I, I'm enjoying the dead lucky run here. We're on um, Love All the Action and... Uh, yeah, I I think they do a good job of trying to spell it out a little bit so it's a it's a little easier to follow and sets up the next issue really well. So I'm excited for that. Super type bananas art. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Stranger Things number two from IDW written by Cameron Chittock, art by Pharaoh Pay. The kids from Stranger Things have traveled to New York where they have encountered the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and of course. Baxter Stockman and a bunch of other folks are trying to open a gate to the upside down. They've got Mauser demo Mausers, as I guess what we're calling them. Yeah. Um, and in this issue, we get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fighting a bunch of demogorgons. What more do you want? Well, I, I, had a, I had a couple of questions Ooh, here. Okay. Did it, did it bother you that they were all wearing the same color uh, kind of mask? You know what I mean? Because normally, you oh, know. were they? You, you didn't notice? I did not even notice. Oh, my God. You're not a real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan, my friend, because I was like, they're all wearing red masks. What is this? How, how does this how make sense? How are you sense? supposed to tell them apart? Well, you tell them about by their swords, obviously, and their personalities and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, Leo has a red mask on? What the fuck happened? Do they all get cover- covered in the same color blood? Like, why is are they all wearing red masks? Mm. Uh, don't get wrong. The design of the turtles was great and kind of really kind of beckoned back to the Eastman and Laird. And I know those were originally in black and white, so they didn't really have different colors. But then when they became colored, they all got their own color, so it was a little bit easier to tell them apart and uh you can match the color with their personality and with their swords and other stuff but man i was just kind of like i want to enjoy this book because it is a great book and i loved all the fighting and the fun stuff but then i was just like they're all wearing the same mask how does two ips come together nobody has a note that says hey what the fuck are you doing here you know what i mean yeah and on the stranger things side all of the stranger things characters have dustin's hair which was weird as well (laughs) very strange I am really enjoy- I I'm sure you're fair quibble. I am really enjoying this crossover. This is giving me yes. exactly what I want out of it. The Stranger Things kids are written really well. It's definitely nailing that. We get a but not exactly a flashback to uh David Harbour, uh Chief Hopper and Eleven, which I think is good. And 
Yeah, I don't know. IDW has been doing a really good job with these crossovers. I was thinking back when I was reading this one to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mighty Morphin Power Rangers crossover, which was another one where I was like, we don't need this. And then I read it and I was like, this is great. Oh, and I love this. Yeah. So there you go. I was a little worried, though, when the kids picked up the w- weapons at the end, because I was like, mm-hmm. you guys aren't trained on these uh, weapons. I did have a question about that just in my mind, because one of the great things about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers crossover was they built to a place where, like, of course the turtles are power, you know, riding in Zords. Of course that's happening while the Power Rangers are dressed up as ninjas and whatever else. Like, they're switching back and forth and doing all that stuff. But, like, does that work as well with children? I don't know. No, because when children pick up weapons, I'm like, you, you, uh, you're not all the, uh, oh God. Um, uh, you know, and I'm. But they do that on the show all the time. They're constantly building weapons and stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, but it just it struck me, and I don't know if it was yeah, like the main know. thing is I'm happy to read a Stranger Things comic that doesn't feel so slavish to continuity that it's like yeah. this doesn't make any sense with the show. That's fine. That's okay. We could just we can go with it and have a good time and dig into like what's fun about Stranger Things, what's fun about the turtles. Throw them together. Good with me. Why don't we move on and talk about X-Force number 43 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Robert Gill. This is also picking up after the Hellfire Gala and showing what was going on with X-Force, a.k.a. the most elite protection team of the X-Men, when all of mutant kind was being murdered and killed by Orcus. What were they doing? I'll tell you what. A bunch of little oopsies. They were fighting and and acting like a, not a team or they've ever been a team. Uh, this was very frustrating to read and very upsetting to see Colossus be a colossal asshole. Uh, I was not happy about any of this and was like, I did not want to see this. Sometimes when a big event happens, you're like, yo, where was this person? What was this person doing? And then when they show you, you're like, how is that's not why I like this person. <laughs> this is really upsetting to uh, see that this is what happened and what they ended up. And quick, everybody run into a portal for no reason and don't think about it. Oh, I, 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 I agree with you, actually, Pete. Like, I think Benjamin Percy, great writer. Yes. Um, really liked Robert Gill's art in here. There's yes. a nice twist. Art's unbelievable. And- there's a nice twist at the end that I'm really interested to see where that goes. But the thing that was frustrating about this to me is like, this is a lot of fill in the gaps and we move beyond that and several other titles where you had this epic destructive thing happen on the Hellfire Gala. What's next? I don't need just to need to see continuations. I don't need to sit in the aftermath of that. I want to see how this pushes these things forward and how it changes things. And that's what we're getting in some of these titles that's not what we're getting here. We're getting X-Force 43, a continuation of X-Force 42, and I understand that's necessary in some respects, but this is a place where I would love to see that X weeks forward or thing that they've been doing in the other titles where it's like, jump Don't forward to a new status quo. Give us something new. Give us something concrete, an easy jumping on point. That's what I want out of these events. Um, so even though it's well done, I want a little more out of it. That's all. Tales of Suspense, number two, from Image Comics, written by T.P. Louise and Chris Ryle, art by Ashley Wood and Nelson Danielle. This is an anthology title with two stories running. The first story is 
the main point to me, nothing against the writing is like the gorgeous art of Ashley Wood. Like worth it for the art alone. Yes. I will just look at things that Ashley Wood does and be like, well, let me soak this into my brain and try to internalize this as much as possible. So I'm sure there's some stuff going on in the story, but I'm too busy looking at the pictures. Meanwhile, the backstory is about, we talked a little less so in this issue, but it's kind of about like a jerk Doctor Strange who's not quite as good at his job is the concept here. Still really enjoying that. Yeah, I I wrote down that this I have no idea what's happening, but I'm having the best time looking at it. Like, I love this comic. Don't ask me what's happening or who's what. But man, is this great. Yeah. Creed, the next round, number three from Boob Studios, written by Latoya Morgan and Jay Jamison, art by Wilton Santos and Valentin Deladro. This is following the Creed family in the near future, specifically the daughter Uh, Michael B. Jordan wants to fight. That's what we finally get in this issue. He's a little pissed off because his sister, who is estranged from, has been training his daughter. Um, There's a lot going on in this issue. We also get some flashback sequences that are beautiful to look at by Valentin Deladro in particular. I love Valentin Deladro's art. It's just these simplistic lines that are not exactly Chris Sabney, but like if you think in that realm or like not as cartoony as a Darwin cook, which is the simplicity there. It's really beautiful. Here's my one bummer about this issue. And I don't know if you read issue number two is so issue number one, we were like, Oh, this takes place in the near future. doesn't seem necessary except for the timeline. Issue number two <laughs> was the one where Michael G. Jordan was like, I'm very interested in a robot fighting league. And we were like, what is happening? <laughs> what is going on? And the fact that we don't follow up on that in any way in this issue, I was like, no, no, yeah, no, I love the family dynamic here. This is really good. You're really diving into this. What is going on with this robot fighting league that you introduced? That's my one quibble with this issue. Yeah, I think it it, it is kind of a, a weird, like, I feel like it should go one and then three, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yes, but I, absolutely. Yeah, I just think that uh, I love this issue. I really love the art. I, I like this idea of kind of like seeing uh, his daughter kind of struggle with the Creed mantle and what does that mean and you know, um, wanting to box and kind of not knowing if you're good enough and stuff like that. So I think it's a great uh, uh, heightening of the Creed movie and cool that a comic can kind of run with this idea and explore this idea. I think it's a a great use of of comics for this. I am worried about um, then seeing his daughter have to fight a robot later i don't know but yeah. i i i'm i you're right because it's hard to if it was just one and three we could just be having a great time and not have this like kind of like robot thing hanging over our heads so yeah. uh it'd be easier to enjoy but uh you know I, this has also been very enjoyable so maybe i should just shut up and and uh, it'll be explained and we'll love it Indigo Children, number six, from Image Comics, written by Kurt Pyers and Rockwell White, art by Alex Diotto. This is following a group of superpowered kids uh, who are now adults and reuniting with each other. They all have purple-themed powers that execute in different ways. And in this issue, we find out some big bits of mythologies, particularly that 
maybe they're aliens and their powers are tied to Mars. They might be Martians, not 100% sure, but there's some big wild stuff that happens in here. What do you think about this one, Pete? Yeah, this is a crazy issue. Uh, I love the tripped out art and like style that it kind of brings this otherworldly thing. But yeah, I just think it's very creative, very cool. Uh, I'm very excited for what they're building towards. So really, by the end of it, you're like, oh, man, I can't wait for the next issue. And I I still love artistically how they execute on the powers. It's absolutely gorgeous. The colors are gorgeous. It's such a specific choice to have everybody have powers that are indigo, you know? (laughs) Um, And it just really, really works. It makes the book feel very unique. Let's talk about Star Trek number 11 from IDW, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Angel Unzu Etta. This is continuing the Day of Blood crossover as our heroes fight against the Klingon Empire. Pete, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, this continues to be another great Star Trek book. Uh, You know, it feels very much in the Star Trek world. Uh, Great art. You you know the characters, and they do a good job of kind of uh, making it feel like just an extension of everything you know. So this continues to be another great Star Trek book. Uh, I agree. I this one is definitely talkier than the other one, but also that's Star Trek, so that's okay. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't want to say that because I felt like we like, know Star Trek. It's no, but it is. I, I know it <laughs> feels ridiculous to say that, but like, there's a propulsiveness to the Strange New Worlds book that feels like appropriate for a comic book, and here. And we've been getting this a lot. Like, this started off as a very actiony book, and as it's got on, it's leaned into the Star Trek thing of we need to stand around and figure out the situation with science, which is mostly fine on TV because you can have the camera spinning around and stuff, but it's much tougher to do in comics because you got the still page. Um, particularly with a, a storyline that's called Day of Blood and you have Klingons attacking and all this stuff. I want there to be like a little more I want the going. Day of Blood. Yeah, Day of Blood. Day of Blood. Day of Blood. Day of Blood. Last but not least, let's talk about the Bone Archer Mythos Tenement number three from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. This is about an apartment building that has been sucked into the Bone Orchard, and the residents of the tenement are all traveling down to the basement. Bad choice. That's a horrible idea. A horrible idea. This is, I said this with the last issue, and I know I said this with an earlier issue in the stack, but this is very Hellraiser. Like, this whole thing is, like, very Hellraiser to me. And so if you're looking for something like that, this is a good book to pick up. If I was going down the stairs and then I saw someone who is red, like, covered in, like, drenched in blood red, uh, you know, you couldn't, the panel couldn't capture me. I'd be running away Mm -hmm. so fast. Like, just the... (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 was, I was yelling at the comic, like, what are you doing? Why would you continue down this path? Why would you go with this plan? Honestly, reading this book every year in October, you, like late September, early October, my family and I, we go to the Bone Orchard and we go bone picking together. This is making me reassess that. I feel like maybe that's not a good idea. It's not know? a good idea, Alex. I've been saying that for years. You're asking for trouble. And I know you like to squeeze the bone. You know you know when mm-hmm. it's ripe to pick it, you know, because you don't like it if it's too brittle. But uh, I, you're really playing with fire. 
And the problem is you always come back with too many bones. You're like, oh, make a bone pie, you know. But then you have all of these bones left. And what are you going to do with them? They're just sitting on the counter rotting the entire time. Yeah. Also, if a cop happens to show up at your house, you you got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> you do. Because yeah. bone orchards, that's a, that's a cemetery, baby. <laughs> If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we're doing, I don't know why you would. Patreon.com slash Comic Book Club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come back out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. To subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, at Comic Book Live on TikTok and Instagram, Comic Book Club Live, Comic Book Club Live, excuse me, dot com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Day of blood. <laughs>